right. Good evening, everybody here. It's Monday, January 24th. Welcome to another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, and I am psyched tonight to welcome a guest who I've been following uh, a lot more closely lately. Um, I first heard of her through my friend, Reed Coverdale, our mutual friend, and that is Olivia Rondo. Olivia, thank you so much for joining Jackman Radio tonight. Thank you for having me. And I'm kind of like worried since you know me through Reed, what he said about me. I just want to defend myself preemptively and say that if it's bad, then it's not true. If it's good, then it is true. So okay, yeah, he's it's it's basically nonstop trash. I mean, he's just got miles and miles in that truck where he just has time to talk on that headset. So he'll call yeah. me, and probably the first half hour of every call is just saying how horrible of a person you are, and <laughs> just how garbage your takes are, and you know all that kind of stuff. So I figured I figured it was something like that. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer out for your viewers also follow Reed because he is constantly lying on my name so I just wanted to put that out there <laughs> good old Reed we gotta love him yeah he's uh he's been doing awesome work and he's introduced me to a lot of people I, I hadn't heard of before so you know appreciative of that that's how I heard of you um so yeah for, for my viewers and some people who might not know about you uh you know who is Olivia Rondo and what does she do uh so I consider myself to be a kind of conservatarian. I guess that would best describe my ideology because, you know, a lot of libertarians will view me as like, oh, she's one of the good conservatives. And a lot of good conservatives will view me as like, oh, she's one of the good libertarians. So I think that just goes to show that both groups um, have people that somewhat claim me in them and both groups have people that somewhat view me as the other side, but still somebody they can talk to. And I really don't have a a label that fits me 100%. So I feel like that's the best way to describe myself. As to what I do, um, I write, I make videos, I do public speaking, um, I commentate, uh, I work on campaigns. I basically have done every job in what it in um in a campaign from like knocking doors to talking to donors to you know writing press releases to booking uh, interviews and stuff for my candidates. So I've I've basically worked in kind of almost every facet of electoral politics and in political media at this point. Um, and yeah, I don't know uh, when people ask me like, Oh, what is your end goal with this? You're going to run for office. I'm not sure of that yet. Um, I'm kind of just looking to advance my personal philosophy, which surrounds Liberty or is surrounded by Liberty um, through any means necessary or through any means that how through any means that I see fit, I, I guess I should say. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm not big on uh, political labels either. Um, you know, I've heard you say in other interviews and talks that you're an independent um, and you never were registered with a political party, correct? That is correct. That's still true. Um, I understand this a little bit confusing because I'm also a member of the Libertarian Mises Caucus. But for people who don't know, you don't have to be an LP member to be a Mises Caucus member. So the reason I joined that was basically just because I saw that this was a caucus that had a lot of people that were very similar to me. People who the mainstream LP were calling like conservative, right-wingers, fascist, racist, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I like several people in that caucus, you know, I think it was basically like Reed Coverdale and Clint Russell that kind of pushed me in that direction. Also Maj Ture, another good member of the caucus. So I was influenced by people who I think very similarly to, who are also kind of sometimes considered to be black sheep depending on who you ask. So that was my reason for joining that. But my reason for not joining any particular political party yet, um, I'm not um, totally closed off to it, but I think that as somebody who is just naturally very independent minded, um, I was kind of, mm, I've just been disenchanted with registering a, a, as a party. Um, but, you know, if it comes to the point where I feel like, hey, this is going to best you know, help me further liberty. If I, you know, if I register in the LP and I get to, you know, contribute to sending somebody down to Reno or something of that nature, like that might be something I do in the future. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Political parties are tough. I mean, I've, I've been in and out of them. Oh, um, four was the first election that I could vote. And, uh, you know, I was young, my brain was pretty mushy. So I considered myself a uh, Democrat and I registered as a Democrat and supported John Kerry in that election. And um, that's got really a <laughs> yeah, it's it's not good. Hey, my brain wasn't fully formed, so I get I get a little past. Neither there. is mine. You don't get an excuse. <laughs> 
Touche, touche. Um, and uh, yeah, I supported his campaign and got him to come to my high school. He came in on a helicopter the day before the 04 primary and did a huge event. And I, you know, stood behind him and was all in. Um, so like a lot of people say, when you get to college, it's like, oh, you're going to just, you're going to become even more liberal than you are and go far left. Well, I actually ended up uh, being, being introduced to libertarianism through Ron Paul, because that was just before the 08 election was ramping up. And I started seeing signs all over New Hampshire for Ron Paul, like who is Ron Paul and that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, who the hell is that? I've never heard of this guy with two first names. You don't know if you can trust a guy that has two first names. A lot of people vary on that, you know, if you can or can't. Do you, mm. think, you, can? Do you think you can or you can't? That's never really been a factor to me on who I decided to support or trust, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. So Ron Paul's campaign um, in 08, really introduced me to libertarianism, um, you know, all the, the ideas and philosophies. And, um, you know, it was, it was really eye-opening. It was really eye-opening. So what, what was it for you that was the, like, gateway or first experience with the idea of even hearing the term libertarian or, liberty, you know, li libertarian ideals? It was probably 2020 when I first started to, you know, follow and take interest in the liberty movement. Um, I was still pretty much on the Trump train at that point. Like I said, I do lean conservative. I don't consider myself to be like a pure libertarian and people would get pissed off at me if I did say I'm a libertarian. So just tossing that out there. Um, but this was at a point where I was surrounded by majority, you know, conservative politics and most of now, my friends I had met through politics were conservative, right wing, and you know the and I, I would I would find people to follow on Twitter all the time. And I started seeing, I started seeing Reed's posts in the beginning of um, 2020. I started seeing um, David Fight's posts, Spike Cohen's posts, Dave Smith's posts. And honestly, I hate to say it, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I really genuinely feel like my timeline. And people I had just followed on social media or had seen on Twitter really uh, influenced me into kind of opening my eyes and inspired me to research libertarianism even more. And I found out that I kind of already agreed with a lot of the philosophy. There was really not a huge switch in my beliefs, but I just found that the label of liberty fit me more than like Republican, MAGA, you know, all those other liberals or all those other labels on on the right wing. So I would say that it was less of a switch up between from my ideology. It was definitely gradual. Like when I first got into politics, I didn't really know. Um, I didn't know much about uh, what was considered to be liberty or not. So I would say that I would agree with something that Trump said about like, I don't know, like tax cuts. And I'd be like, wow, that's conservative. And I didn't realize that taking it even further and being consistent with those tax cuts would be like libertarian. So like I said, I just kind of found that group from Twitter and realized that it fit my ideology a little bit more, but I couldn't go all the way. You know, there's still some things I agree with the Republicans on more than libertarians. So that's why I haven't, you know, registered one way or the other. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, and, and I think a lot of Americans overall are that way. I mean, the media and the, the press and even social media would have us believe that we're all just rigid and dug into our sides and we're not going to budge at all on anything. And when you just go out in public or you know people and you're out, out and about, I mean, people for the most part are actually very reasonable. They're, we're, we're, we're not these hysterical, ideological, uh, dug-in monsters that social media and the algorithms put out and perpetuate. So um, I think that's refreshing. And yeah, I mean, I get, I've gotten flack. There was stuff Trump did that I loved that I was very supportive of, obviously uh, him meeting with rocket man uh, when he did and, and with North Korea and not bombing them and not overthrowing rocket man and launching regime change and occupying North Korea was good because uh, you know, the, the alternatives to what Trump was talking about, you know, that's what they were. They were violence and, and more war and destruction. And, you know, I applauded Trump when he did that. And then, um, you know, to kind of stay consistent with how I'm very anti-war, I'm very against imperialism. Um, when really the only one thing I like that Brandon's done since he's been president for a year was getting us out of Afghanistan. And I, yeah. and even I, that was completely botched. I'm glad we got uh, out and oh. it was like, 
But it, for me, at some point, it was like, we've already been there for 20 years. If it takes three more months to plan a pullout, you know, properly, then let's take those 90 days or whatever, or however many, you know, weeks or months, because it was getting to a point where it was just ridiculous. And yes, it needed to happen. But we were there for so long, way too long to not have a to not have an effective plan to pull out. So that that did make me angry. Oh, yeah. I won't I won't argue at all that the the. the uh the pullout and the exiting was a complete disaster and abject failure. Um, but to, to, to just the end of what it was, was that we were out of there and Brandon, whether it was Brandon or people around him who just, he held firm on it and we did get out of there. I did give him credit for that. And that got me a lot of hate from uh, people. So what happens is these times when you're an independent, when you like something one side does and you cheer for it, you know, you get shit. And then when you do it, you know, with the other side, you get shit from everybody. So it's like, I don't know. I just don't like the tribalism of politics. And um, I feel like people are more reasonable than, than um, most would realize, you know, do you, do you find that in your experiences? Cause what I wanted to touch upon too, I know you were out um, at all these marches, you had a busy weekend with the March for life and then um, the anti-mandate rally there with Bobby Kennedy jr. I mean, what, what was the sense you got from being out there at these rallies? Well, first, I agree with your sentiment that people, you know, are definitely more moderate than what social media and what mainstream media would have you believe. Because, for example, yesterday when I was at the um, Defeat the Mandates rally, there were several signs and groups there from people who were not right wing at all. I saw a sign. I took a picture of it, actually, that said Vax Democrat for Medical Freedom or Against Mandates or something to something to that um, message. And I posted it and people were in the comments like, oh, sheep, we don't care. You're the one that voted for him. This is your fault. And I'm just like, you know, we don't know who this person voted for. If they feel so strong about anti-mandates, maybe they didn't even vote for Biden. You know, maybe they didn't vote for these people. Maybe they're just a registered Democrat. Maybe they voted for a different Democrat in the primaries that didn't win. You know, like we just, we just don't know. And I'm really against calling people sheep um, who are, you know, on our side in, in some regards, even if they're a registered Democrat. I don't care if you're against mandates, if you're against tyranny, I'm willing to talk to you about, hey, you know, why are you voting Democrat? Because maybe we should incorporate some things into like the LP or the Republican Party um, to, you know, to get your vote. Because I know people who vote Democrat, you know, for drug decriminalization. That's something that I support too. So if, if, if talking and building coalitions with those types of people can bring them over instead of calling them sheep and telling them, you know, to get out of the party, get out of the movement, um, would, would cause more people to be on our side, then I'm all for it. So yeah, there's definitely more moderates than people would think and more people that agree with them than people would think. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, you know, that I, I looked at the um, episode of pause that you were on with Sam Jay, and I think we can connect that to a really great statement. You said that the Republicans and the conservatives by and large need to drop the anti-gay marriage thing from their platform completely. And I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, that the hyper-focus on social issues like that and keeping that red meat out there just for the sake of raising money for election cycles and keeping those older kind of boomer Republicans who still care about that issue involved in their purse open, you know, that's going to die out eventually. And like you said, bringing more people to your cause who it might just be one issue that they would be willing to come over, but they're hung up on one other issue that might be stopping them. I think that's, that's a very good example of that. And people will tell me, well, what are you even conserving? How are you conservative and you want to change the Republican Party and you want to make it more socially liberal or, or whatever have you? I'm just like, I am not conserving, um, you know, evangelicalism. I'm not conserving, you know, what your idea of traditionalism is. I think what people get confused about is when I say I'm conservative or I'm conserving something, I want to conserve um, the basic American values of freedom from tyranny and freedom from the state enforcing their values on you. I mean, people started this country because they were freeing um, religious persecution. So how could we sit here and say that, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to return to persecution based on religious beliefs or evangelicalism or what people perceive to be moral? Um, I just wholeheartedly disagree with that. And on the other hand, the point I also made in, in pause with Sam Jay was that, hey, if, if we're talking about reducing abortion, if we're talking about um, reducing the need for abortion and, and, and the need for mothers or potential mothers and women to even turn to a Planned Parenthood as an option is, 
we should make sure people know that there are people willing to adopt their baby, whether that be, you know, a single mother, whether that be a heterosexual couple, whether that be a homosexual couple. So that was the other point I made there. I don't think mm. that Republicans should be, you know, pro-life and anti-gay couples or single people adopting children. Well, right, exactly. And that's a criticism a lot of um, pro-life people run into is that, okay, well, you're cool with preserving the life of the child, but then when the child's born, uh, what kind of policies can we support that would place that child in a loving, caring, safe, supportive home? And being more open and um, willing to accept gay couples or just all those things you mentioned would, would be a step in the right direction there for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's another thing that I really struggle with seeing. And I see this way too often with people on the right um, turning their nose up at gay issues and still expecting to pull gay conservatives into the movement. I don't know how people expect to win if you're alienating an entire group of people. I know that people think that, you know, being LGBT or gay is like 0.01% of the population, but it's it's really not. It's, it's a lot of people that people don't realize fall into that category or even fall into the category of being an ally of, of people who are gay. So it's, it's crazy because I saw this whole drama where people who, um, Scott Pressler, who's a Republican activist who was friends with, it was like Lauren Witzke and some other, um, you know, very ultra trad right type of people were, you know, talking crap about him basically on Twitter saying that he shouldn't be part of the party and all this kind of stuff when he is like single handedly registered like thousands of Republican voters for them. So it's like, do you really care about what people do in their personal lives that much to the point where you're willing to lose thousands and thousands of voters? And it's not just activists um, like Scott, because, you know, every voter is really valuable. So even if it's this one gay voter who is turned off by the message, that is detrimental. And so when people are saying, well, we just don't want the party to be like that, we'll win off of principles. No, you will not. No, you will not win off the principle that being gay is, is should be illegal or gay marriage should be legal or it's a, or it's like some cardinal sin or something that you should be talking about in politics. You are more than more than welcome to, you know, believe it's a sin. In your personal life, you're more than likely to post about on social media, talk about it in church, do whatever you want to do. But when it comes to politics, when it comes to deciding who is in or out of the party, decide, deciding what is or isn't legal, that should just be a non-issue to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I need to find out uh, what kind of shampoo and conditioner Pressler uses because his hair is beautiful. It's awesome. That, that, needs, like, to, that needs to go on the record right now, Olivia. Make a bundle with it at this point. Yeah, his... I don't know. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. Yeah, just, just his hair and his cowboy boots alone could get me to go MAGA in twenty-four and register. Like no I, problem. Literally, that man registered me to vote, and I was like. I was like, Scott, I'm an independent, but just because you drove out here and your hair looks good, I'm I'm gonna vote for Trump just for you. <laughs> but I, I mean, that basically is what happened. He really did register register to me to vote, and actually, he was very nice because you know he goes. Have you met to, you met Scott? Yeah, we're friends. Um, oh, nice. Okay. Uh, he did register me to vote, and you know how he goes around registering Republicans and. While he was registering to vote, he was like, girl, I know you're independent. You don't have to check Republican. I get it. And so we registered me as an independent. So shout out to Scott for that because he's not really like a Republican shill that people think he is. He really does care about people, you know, people voting and being involved. Well, and all that kind yeah, of he backs it up with action, too. He's out there helping with neighborhood cleanups and that sort of stuff. And he actually gives a damn. So that's so much more than your online trolls and, you know, your armchair critics can say he's yeah, actually we going met, out there. Uh, we met like in 2019, I think, when he came to Maryland for the Baltimore cleanup he organized. So I went to that. That's where I met him. And we've been friends since then. And he's just always been very genuine, very nice guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love seeing his stuff. I follow him on Twitter and I hope to run into him one day. Um, you know, maybe he'll come up here to New Hampshire where we still have our outsized influence with the New Hampshire primary. Mm. Although our uh, secretary, our long running secretary of state, Bill Gardner is retiring. And that guy has been a warrior to help us keep the first in the nation status. So I'm hoping whoever we get in next as our secretary of state will still be willing to go to bat for New Hampshire like that and uh, make sure that we stay first. And we just, we need to get rid of the Iowa caucus altogether. I mean, that thing, that was a shit show with this last time in 2020. With mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Buddha Judge and Bernie, I mean, I oh, I'm gonna come right out and say it. I think Bernie won that thing fair and square. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I did see, I, I'm, I'm not super like in touch um, with what goes on in the Democrats, to be honest. I'm like, you know what? Y'all want to cheat each other? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't care. But on some level, I'm like, I have felt bad for Bernie. I mean, I felt I felt worse for Bernie in 2016, to be honest. That's when I really felt bad for Bernie. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, jokes I tell when I do any of my Donald Trump shows. I go, boy, I got to tell you, Bernie Sanders, no one has been screwed that bad by the Clinton since Monica Lewinsky, quite frankly. Okay. Oh, my that God. Was, that voice is so good. Was, <laughs> Olivia, Olivia, excuse me, excuse me. The terrible screwing. Okay. Crooked put her fist right up Bernie's ass and Clinton Bill put it right down his throat and it was a disaster. Total disaster. Yeah. Even the hand gestures are on point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I've I've been professionally impersonating Trump for six years. This is like my sixth year doing it where people wow. people people pay me to be Donald Trump. So I don't know if you know anyone okay, who has so a- just do that full time. Don't do you don't have to do this full time. <laughs> well, that, that would be part of it. I mean, the gigs. So during election cycles, the gigs are very steady. Like in 2016, I was literally dressing like Donald Trump one, two, three times a week and getting paid good money to go to events as him. And it was, it's led to a serious identity crisis. You know, wow. Sometimes I don't. You're like, I don't, you're like looking in the mirror. You're like, who even am I anymore? Sometimes there is no Eric Jackman anymore, Olivia. There is only Donald Trump. You know, it's like um, it's like in Spider-Man: The Green Goblin. He just like switches between his personalities. And yeah, and and when like I'm around family members, I know that hate Trump or like really triggered on them. That's when like, and if I've had a few beers, that's when we really have fun. You know, because my uh, my mom side of the family are from uh, liberal Massachusetts and they're just basically all vote blue, no matter who uh, type Democrats, old school. So, um, you know, even though I've made incredibly sharp criticisms of Trump and there's a lot of things I don't agree with him about, you know, there are things I like about him. And and I get I get the biggest kick out of the guy. Like, I absolutely love how he treated uh, Jeb Bush and the Republican establishment and then Hillary during the election. Like, I think that's some of the greatest political theater that that's that will ever happen in politics anywhere in the world, especially American politics. But um, yeah, I'll really all troll and I'll just do Trump impressions. And one year, my I have a twin brother, Mike. Um, he, he wanted to do the stream tonight, but he had to work late today, unfortunately. But that's his fault. He's losing, Olivia. He's a loser. That's his fault. Wow. Yeah, that's that's his loss, quite frankly. But um, one year to troll our family, our Christmas card was me and Donald Trump next to each other because I've met him a few times and I got a picture with him. And then the other side was Mike with Lindsey Graham at a, at a Republic, New Hampshire Republican Christmas party. And that was, uh, that was our Christmas card. And we just said, happy Christmas from Eric, love Eric and Mike. And uh, that definitely triggered some family members, but it was fun. You know, See, I don't enjoy triggering my family members. Like a lot of people do. People are always like, oh, do you, does your family get bothered when you talk about politics? All the time? I really don't talk about politics ever with my family, which is kind of funny. Yeah. So, I mean, right. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, you know, obviously seeing you becoming a, a personality and getting a bigger following and more well-known. I mean, what, what does your family think overall about that? They don't care. <laughs> they they're, don't they're, care. Not, they're not like, yeah, Olivia, we're proud of you. Nice job. Or they're just, they're just indifferent. Mm, it's, <laughs> I don't know. We just don't talk about it very much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been in the paper here in New Hampshire a bunch of times for my Trump stuff, and my mom will see it. She works at a local school, and her coworkers will see it and be like, uh, she's from Boston, so she's got a wicked Boston accent. She'll be like, my uh, my colleague saw you in the paper there dressed as Trump. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm like, are you proud, mom? She's like, I'm a proud mother. I'm like, at least I'm not in the, the fucking crime log. You know, I'm not in there getting arrested it for stuff. It could be worse. It, it, it honestly could be worse. There's been times where my parents have been, like, kind of confused, and I'm just like, I could be, like, pregnant and doing drugs right now. Like, there are so many worse things I could be doing. Like in my age group, I could be at like passed down the basement of a frat house right now. So you guys got to chill on that. Yeah. But yeah, as to like how, how much they care, I mean, like my mom checked us on Facebook. That's basically the extent of it. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, my mom, I don't think even knows how to turn on a computer. So she's just kind of learned how to use a cell phone the last couple of years. But she's always been supportive. I mean, I've always done uh, theater and acting. Um, and comedy and impressions going all the way back to like middle school. I used to do Shakespeare festivals and my brother and I would impersonate our teachers at the talent shows in front of the whole school. So that was kind of how we, uh, so you we guys got... are just impersonators. You guys are good at doing voices and stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say right now, my brother does the best Alex Jones impression in the whole world. I have to see that one. I have yeah. to see that one. I'll, I'll send you some videos after we're, we do our stream. And uh, there's a, he, he, you know, uh, Robbie and Abby Martin, uh, Empire Files, Media um, Roots. I do, I do know Abby Martin just because of their read. I don't think I know Robbie Martin. Yep. So Robbie's her brother and they do a great uh, show called Media Roots together. And Rob, we've had Robbie on our show a bunch of times. We've had Abby on and um, they were celebrating their 10 year anniversary of Media Roots. And, you know, anyone with a sense of humor gets a kick out of Alex Jones. And Robbie, uh, Mike did his impression for Robbie and Robbie loved it so much. He hired Mike to record like a three minute monologue as Alex Jones for their celebration. And oh my God. I'll send it to you. And they put it on their Media Roots thing. Uh, episode celebrating 10 years and like him, Abby and Robbie were just cracking up and people in the comments were like, why the fuck are you platforming this guy? He's a psychopath and a lunatic. We hate Alex Jones. Like they legit think that it thought it was Alex Jones. Um, and they were on, mad about it. Yeah. They were like f f flipping out about it. And it, it's well, like, if I got on. a little endorsement, a little clip of a body from Alex Jones, like my, I feel like my audience would just like, like love that honestly. oh oh it, it's it, it's a life-defining moment i mean I, I went to the rnc in 2016 and i ran into alex jones out there and his security so when i, I met him he had a couple of security guys with him i did my impression for him i said hey guys we're having a good time out here at the rnc we're we're taking on the deep state we're supporting donald trump we're gonna we're gonna end tyranny in one world government infowars.com and they really liked it and they got a kick out of it so they I called Alex over and they said, dude, you got to hear this guy's impression of you. It's funny. And I did it for him. And Alex was like, you got to come up in front of everybody here with me and Roger Stone and do your impression. So there's a video of me uh, next to Alex Jones and then Roger Stone is next to him. And I just go on this like minute diatribe as Alex Jones with him right there. Wow. And uh, he called, he called a dream. It, it was, that, that was, that's peak matrix, like for that to happen. So that that I happened. I feel like I have to start like impersonating people on the right because I really have no desire to meet Kamala and do my impression for her. Like, you know, so. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's what I hear. I hear you do a great Kamala impression. That's I can't. I, I feel like it's different though. I don't think I'm like a really good impersonator in general. I think I just look like her, and so that's why I was able to do it. But I can't. I feel like I don't really have her voice. I'm not good at emulating voices it's just in the clips i've done i've just gone through a lot of effort like to like straighten my hair and like look like her and so people just kind of forget i don't really sound like her but i'm not like a really like i would call you like an impersonation artist like you can actually do people's voices and i can immediately tell who it is you know well thank you i'm i'm honored by that yeah uh, <laughs> You're welcome. the voices yeah it just it's it's always just been something i love to do and um yeah, with the, the Trump thing is I mean, I've been doing it for a long time, and uh, he, Trump himself really helped put me on the map. He, uh, similar to what, what happened with Alex Jones in uh, early, when was it? It was the night before the New Hampshire primary in 2016. So it was February or January, February of 2016. I went to one of Trump's rallies up here in New Hampshire at the, it was called the Verizon Wireless Arena with 5,000 people. And uh, I was dressed in full character as Trump because this t-shirt company had hired me to go there to promote their t-shirts that had a cat that had Trump's hair on it called Trumpy Cat. Trumpy Cat was a great shirt, Olivia. It's a great shirt. Wow. And um, I was in the back of the crowd and Trump was on stage and he saw me and pointed at me and called me out in front of everybody and called me to the front of the stage. And uh, that was, that's a watershed moment in my life, Olivia. You're really just living the dream. That's amazing. It was, that was peak matrix. And uh, he got a kick out of it. He didn't have me executed or beheaded. So that was good. And, um, well, you know, he, sh he said, hey, man, congratulations. I hope you make a lot of money doing this. That's great. And, uh, you know, I took yeah. the king, I took the he, king up he, on that. You know what? One thing about Trump is he is willing to share the grift. He is willing to oh. share the grift around. If, if, yeah, if, if you got something to offer or, you know, I mean, he wants loyalty, he wants Omerta, you know, he's a, he's a mob king. He's a New York area mob boss and a mob king. Got, yeah, he, he really is. Hey, look, be before I was a Republican, all the rappers wrote about me in their songs. They wrote about Trump money and Trump bitches. I mean, what the hell happened? What the <laughs> hell? That's the one thing that I would always point out because I, in the beginning, when I first like came out like publicly in support of Trump, people were like, "He's racist! He's racist!" Like, what are you talking about? The black community don't don't fuck with him no more. Don't they, we don't fuck with you no more? I was like, "What are you guys talking about?" He's like in all these pictures and all these songs, all these rappers. He was literally cool until like he was cool all throughout the nineties. He was cool until he like wasn't a Democrat anymore. That's basically what it was. 
Right, right. No, he's 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 <laughs> he's a he's a legend. My um my brother in law is from Nigeria, and um one of the first times I met him, you know, he knew about all my Trump stuff, and you know, that I do the impression professionally, and he's like, oh man, I love Trump. He's a fucking gangster. I love him. I love him. And I'm like. I like this guy. I'm glad you're my brother-in-law now. <laughs> I swear. It's like people who are not even from America who look at him as a cool guy because they don't care about American politics. They just remember like billionaire, playboy, real estate mogul, guy from The Apprentice, guy who makes you know funny tweets and funny videos. They don't care about American politics. It's like the people who are so brainwashed here by the media into hating him for all the wrong reasons. It's like if there's people I know who hate him for valid reasons, like, like Reed Coverdale, he'll criticize Trump for very valid reasons. I'll be like, yeah. Trump was wrong for banning bump stocks. He was wrong for that. You know, like there's definitely things he was wrong on. But when I'm talking to people who are like, well, Trump's racist, then I can't take you seriously. Then it's like, okay, well, I have nothing else to talk to. <laughs> right. He's like, look, I marched with Al Sharpton. Okay. The black, no one's done more for the blacks than Trump. Okay. They love me. No one. I absolutely. <laughs> love no Abe Lincoln got nothing on this. Okay. He was a loser and low energy compared to what I did. Okay. But yeah, it's just, it's a, a cognitive dissonance and it's just an easy thing to yell about people that you don't agree with or don't like. You just yell those things. And if you yell it enough and say it enough and repeat it, oh, it must be true. You know, they're still oh. talking about it years later. Anytime someone brings up Biden, anytime I bring up Biden and people are like, but Trump, but Trump, but Trump. And it's, it just goes to show the cognitive dissonance was so strong that it is now overtaking any criticism of their party. And it's just like, my opinions have changed. If you if you would ask me, like, do you plan on um, voting for Trump in twenty twenty four? Answers 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 no. Um, there there are too many things that I felt um, uh, that I I wanted more from him. You know, I wanted to, I wanted him to pardon Julian Assange. I wanted mm -hmm. him to work on decriminalization of marijuana more than he did. He was talking about these things. There was rumors about these things. Maybe he would have done it in the second term if he had gotten elected, but he had the chance to do it when he did. And um, when he was in office, and he didn't, so he did leave much to be desired for me. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, finally, I saw someone ask him about it. Candace Owens asked him directly, like, "Dude, what the hell with with Assange and and Snowden? Why? What happened there?" And his, he, it was a bullshit answer. Bullshit. That he, gave. he literally said, "Well, I thought I saw it lead up to the courts." I was like, "When has anyone ever said I'll just leave it up to the courts? Like, that's your job. You yeah. can't just leave it up to the courts. What are the courts going to do? They're, they're, nothing. Nothing. The courts yeah. are not going to do nothing. And no. I think he knows that. And I think he was threatened." Um, I, I for sure think he was right. Because I, he's pretending now that it's something that he didn't really feel that strongly about, but I think he did originally. I yeah, you know, I, I agree with that hundred percent. I had um former CIA uh, officer John Karyaku on my show who uh, blew the whistle on waterboarding and torture, and uh, went to federal prison for uh, probably close to three years for doing that. And I asked him his take on that. I'm like, why don't you think Trump? helped Assange and, and was more supportive because arguably Trump wouldn't have won without WikiLeaks. I mean, I, I remind people of that without the information and, and the full on exposure of how we all knew how horrible and corrupt and rotten the DNC and Podesta and crooked Hillary was, but having all the emails was like the, you know, the nail in the coffin. But I said, why do you think Trump uh, didn't, didn't go the distance with that? And his, I don't know if he had it from someone or, or where his, information for that came from. But he said, from what I understand, this was all going on when Trump was seriously thinking about doing it. This was when the second impeachment was happening. And Mitch McConnell called Trump and basically said, if you do anything to help these whistleblowers or WikiLeaks um, or Assange, we'll go ahead and impeach you in the Senate. Well, we'll, we'll um, convict, convict you in the Senate for impeachment. Yeah. So like you said, threat, it could have been that threat. It could have been a threat from the intelligence communities. Who knows exactly what it was? Something probably spooked him. And at the end of the day, it wasn't worth it for him to do it. I understand that. And it's like, depending on what he is starting with, I don't know what he was starting with. I can kind of see maybe why he said that. It was still a piss poor excuse. But on other things, not not taking care of Fauci um, when he had the influence, when he had the power to do so. And in that Candace interview, she was talking um, I think she brought that up too, or like at least the vaccines. And he he is still just kind of like being like, woo, 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 like we got the vaccines out. These are the Trump vaccines. And like his base is totally not receptive to that at all. He gets booed. And so I'm not saying he has to follow the crowd. I'm just saying that 
if people think that, you know, the, the same people who voted Trump in the first time are all going to be on board for the next time he runs, if he runs, that's not going to be the case. And, and the way he managed COVID and the way he, you know, let the states get locked down and, and let, and kind of, you know, put us to where we are today, obviously things are worse under Biden, but he didn't do much to stop it. So yeah, there's that as well. And then of course, you know, his, his things, his, his, his things with um, the second amendment, Obviously, he was more pro two A than the other option, but just not to the point where I wanted him to be. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard that criticism from a lot of people who that's one of their, uh, you know, more important issues. So, I mean, handicapping 24 a little bit. I mean, what what do you see happening playing out? Do you, do you think it's going to be a big Republican primary or do you think the emperor runs again and just clears the field or does it come down to him and DeSantis? I mean, what do you what is your gut telling you what, what might happen there? I can't picture DeSantis running against Trump. I think that it'll come to a point where if, if they both end up running, DeSantis will drop out at the request of Trump's team at some point. I can't see them being like, you know, at the end of the primary together because I think that what'll what'll happen is Trump will say, Hey, it's still my turn. You got the next one. You know, that's just what I think will happen. And the DeSantis base is very still much heavily MAGA. There are some DeSantis yeah. people who are, you know, anti-Trump and say, you know, we're done with Trump. We're going to move on to DeSantis. You know, he talks better. He has better policy, blah, 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 blah. But there is so much overlap there that even though DeSantis is very good, I don't really trust these, or, you know, very good in in in, in the party. I, I don't trust these polls that say that it's going to be like a landslide or that it's really set for DeSantis in the Republican primary. Um, I do think that if Trump runs again, um, he'll probably win the nomination. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think it's. I don't. I don't think it'll be super close. Though. I don't think it'll be as close as people would think, and that's that's my point with the vaccines thing. But um, I think that a lot of people might have my mindset that Ron DeSantis is a good governor of Florida, and he should say governor. I don't want to see. I don't want to see President DeSantis. Um, maybe that's controversial to say. I don't want him. There, there's, there's, there's several things that I have issue with him on that doesn't have to do with COVID. That if we gave him you know, federal power in the, in the, in the presidential office, then it would just kind of be a shit show in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if he's ready for a full national campaign like that and you know, how popular he actually really would be outside of Florida. A lot of that could be in charge of foreign policy. That's my thing. Like you're, I'm like, if you, you know, you're, you're keeping Florida safe, you're keeping Florida, you know, free from lockdowns, you know, we don't have, um, you know, crazy marijuana laws there. It's a little bit more legal there than other states. I'm like, cool, you know, cool. You can have guns in Florida. I'm like, cool, keep keep Florida a free state. But when he's doing behind the scenes saying that, um, you know, Florida is the most pro-Israel state and that yes. we're going to ban BDS and that mm -hmm. we're anti-Semitic speech. And I'm just like, hmm, I don't know where your loyalties lie, sir. So if he was in a position higher than governor, I just wouldn't want to see him making foreign policy decisions. Yeah, oh, no doubt. I, I have no doubt if it was he was the president, he would carry on the acquiescence to Israel and whatever they wanted, just like Trump did. I mean, Trump gave them everything. He had the freaking embassy built and the capital moved and, um, you know, nothing with settlements. I mean, I always joke with Reid that when um, he had Netanyahu to the White House for the first time, they were doing a joint press conference and like Trump was like a little kid. He looked over at him. He's like, our relations are going to be great, but uh, maybe you could start with the settlements a little bit. We could pause those a little bit. And then like Netanyahu looked like he was going to bite his head off. And Trump was like, oh, he didn't like that. He didn't like that. So mm -hmm. I just, I see DeSantis not, maybe even being worse. Like you mentioned the I BDS think thing. was worse. Yeah. The, he, he goes through a lot of trouble at inserting Florida into international conflict. I'm like, why does Florida care about Palestine versus Israel? I don't know. I don't think a, a, a United States state has to have a, an official position on that, much less be creating legislation based off of that. So when, you know, he does stuff like banning Ben and Jerry's being sold and vending machines in, in state buildings, I'm just like, okay, did we really need to go through the trouble of doing that? Does that send the right message? Oh, well, it's because Ben and Jerry's doesn't sell ice cream in Israel okay, why am I supposed to care about that? And why are you impeding on my right to buy Ben and Jerry's in a vending machine now? So that made me, and so when it's like, when he's, when he's doing petty stuff like that, it makes me wonder what he's going to do with like, you know, 
a launch button on his desk. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Well, luckily Trump always hit the diet Coke button and not the launch button. That's true. Bring me my diet Coke, please. I love that. Also. I find that to be like one of the most fascinating, like, you know, innocent fun facts about the Trump administration that he literally had a diet Coke button. Yeah. Oh no, the Sultan. He lo- he loves his aspartame. He keeps a kid. And he's also totally... the fact that, and also the fact that he's like a Diet Coke slanderer. He would always say, "I've never seen a skinny person drinking Diet Coke," but he loves Diet Coke. <laughs> those, those tweets are the best. Well, hey, he lives up to what what he said in his tweets. You know, because he's That's he's true. a th- he's a thick I, daddy. He's you know what? He is a self aware man. He is. A, he was yeah. just making. A, he was looking in the mirror when he tweeted that. He was like, "That <sighs> piece of shit." I have. He was <laughs> tweeting this. While he was drinking Diet Coke in the mirror. Oh, yeah, he's a thick daddy. When I met him in person, he's got a big old butt on him. There's no, there's no denying how thick he is. <laughs> That's crazy because I've seen him in person too, but that was not something I took notice of. Well, you know, to really just get the full impression and everything, I had to, I had to look at everything at all avenues, and, and plus, you, you notice it. He's just, he's thick with three C's. Okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I now have that information. It's important information. Um, and I want to ask you the um, the New Statesman put out a piece uh, from Ian Higgins. Uh, I don't know a couple of weeks ago, saying is Tulsi Gabbard the GOP's dark horse? So I hear this a lot because I worked on her campaign for a year, and she's a friend of mine. Um, you know, I was a big supporter of her 2020 primary campaign, and so many people are like, "Is she gonna? She should be a Republican. She should leave the party. Um, she doesn't have a chance as a Democrat anymore." What do you think about Tulsi Gabbard, and, and what do you, what would you think about her leaving the D, uh, Democratic Party and running as a Republican in 24? Mm, the last thing the Republican Party needs is somebody who is also not very consistent on Second Amendment issues, and is also um, I don't think the Republican Party needs to go. Um, more uh, economically liberal or populist. I know that that's what a lot of, like, you know, kind of like people who have kind of split off from the MAGA movement are saying, oh, we want a more populist Republican Party. We don't want a public Republican Party that is all free market capitalist and gun, gun, gun. I disagree with that. Um, I like Tulsi as a person, not so much as a politician, but sometimes she does have her moments. I really enjoy following her on social media and seeing her piss off Democrats. That's something I enjoy. Um, but I would like her to continue pissing off Democrats. I don't want to see her, you know, make the Republican party, you know, more anti-gun or more left-leaning fiscally because that's what she is. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, I've talked to Reed about his time, you know, uh, you know, volunteering and working for Tulsi. And, you know, he talks about how she was horrible on gun control and, you know, she got better as time went on as he made more suggestions to her, but she hasn't, you know, fully turned around on that yet. So I would just not like to see that be brought into you know, the conservative movement while I am, you know, kind of a fan of hers. Right. Yeah, it, absolutely. She's done plenty to piss off Democrats and uh, kind of show her, her independent streak, which is what I really admire about her and, and like about her and what she did in her time in Washington in Congress. So, yeah, I, I think, it, yeah, ultimately, though, if Trump does run, he, he just I think he clears the field and there won't be a primary. And uh, do you think uh, Brandon makes it to run again, or do you think they're going to do something to get rid of Brandon and, and also get rid of Kamala and cl- clear the clear the way for Mayor Pete from transportation? I don't know if like I would say he won't make it, like as in he'll pass away before then. But I think that he won't medically be. I mean, he's already not medically good. So he's he's a zombie. Yeah. So I think that they'll they'll see that next time around. Jill's gonna you know. As she's changing his diaper one evening, she's going to be like, Brandon, I don't think you should run again. And then he's going to say, I thought Kamala was president. And then, you know, they'll have some ice cream and then they'll go to bed. That happens. But I I really don't want to see Kamala Harris. Although the grift money from impersonating a president does sound kind of amazing. So, yes, I'm calling it right now. If Olivia, if we had a Trump versus Kamala thing, you and I could bring the show on the road and uh, oh my do- god! If, if they if those two made it to the debates, we gotta do a parody. We gotta do a parody together, Olivia. The grift that you and I could come up with would be unbelievable. It would be almost as amazing as Trump steaks, Trump wine, Trump vodka, and Trump the game. Quite frankly, okay, yeah, it would be okay. Un- it would be un- it would be unbelievable. I think we gotta do it. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's fun uh, being Trump because I performed for for people that hate him, that love him. 
um, that don't care, like everything in between. And you do get some people that are like, they actually look at you like you are actually Trump and they can be pretty nasty. Wow. Is, really? Yeah. Do, they, do you get like booed sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I get booed. Um, when I go to like big events, like, you know, I'll go to his rallies. If there's protesters there that are anti-MAGA, they're just horrified. They just look at you like you're Satan and uh, like you're the worst person in the world. And they project all of their hatred right onto you, which is, which is funny, but I get a kick out of it. You know, people, we just, we just can't really take it. So we can't take uh, Donald Trump was president for four years. We can't take shit too seriously. Yeah. I mean, especially I have to think about that. Cause I grew up like not watching the apprentice. I was too young for that. But for people who grew up like during the eighties and nineties and saw Trump like rise to fame, doing something completely different than politics. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, a, boy billionaire type character you know reality tv star and then be president it must be hilarious because i just grew up knowing him as like real estate guy people think he's racist and he's republican and he was president for a while now he's not he was a funny president you know but i kind of knew him more for his tweets um you know not really like the apprentice show or any of his like personality before he ran yeah yeah no he's he's a lot of fun and like i said i'll just i'll always be happy it was hillary hillary's not gonna ever be president and it was donald trump that stopped her from being president so i'll always appreciate that about him you know that's true it was that was incredible to see that happen because everyone everyone was like no hillary's gonna win even after the access hollywood tape came out with billy bush and they just they're like well, oh, because- it's over I, people are such hypocrites. People will listen to like WAP and be mad that Trump said grab her by the P word. Are you kidding me? Like, are you really kidding me? Oh, well, a president can't say he wasn't president when he said that. This was this was years ago. Are you saying that you've never said anything vulgar in your life? Like, stop lying. Literally stop lying. People are like, oh, well, he's just calling them locker room tough. Are you, is he saying that, that that's how all men talk? Yes. <laughs> all men do talk like that. And let me tell you a secret. Women talk like that too. Okay. It's it's really I don't know. I don't know why people clutch their pearls at that, especially seeing like the things that happened that that transpired during those four years and now seeing how politicians lie and make up complete bullshit stories all the time. And we're mad that he said you could just grab him by the P-word years ago to Billy Bush. Oh well, he's he's a misogynist. He's saying he assaults women. He's no. He said they'll let you. They'll they'll let you. He said nothing about forcing himself on anybody. So there's that too. Yeah, he's like you know I'm automatically attracted to beautiful women. I, I just I just start kissing and, and when you're famous, they let you do it. They let you do it. <laughs> yeah, he was him and him and Billy. They were having the time of their lives on that bus, you know. And and uh, then Billy leaked it. Isn't that who? Isn't isn't that who? Isn't that how the media uh, got uh, a hold of that tape? You know, that's a great question. I, I thought I remember hearing something about a grandson or a relative of Jimmy Carter working for one of the networks, hearing about it and being involved in that, but I'd have to double check uh, that. You I know, I'm just trying to claim that Billy Lee died. I just kind of assumed that, but I thought that's what the story was. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, well, Billy not. Bush suffered pretty uh, seriously from that. He had oh, to leave his okay. job, right? I think. Oh, I didn't know that. And and I was always saying, well, look at Trump, man. He brought down a, yet another Bush in this campaign cycle. You gotta love that. Gotta love. Him. I'm the I'm the great Bushwhacker. Okay. He's like and I'm the last. He's like somebody's grandson or somebody, right? Yeah, I'm... Billy Bush is first. I believe he's first cousins with George W. Bush and Jeb. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Part of, part of the Bush Mafia. Gotcha. And, uh, there's too yeah, many. Was... Get them out of politics. Oh. Now there's like George P. Bush down in Texas. I'm like, get out, bro. I don't yeah. care that you're I don't, like, I just, I don't care. Unless it's I, Jeb. Unless it's Jeb. Yeah. Well, Jeb, Jeb's just, Jeb. it'd, it'd be fun to be, <laughs> Jeb, it'd be fun to see him be a punching bag again in another cycle. But uh, yeah, I met Jeb a bunch of times up here in New Hampshire and what a dud. Just, you didn't even create Please a persona. Clap. clap. Please clap. Please clap. Like he didn't even try to create a persona like his brother did is his cocaine snorting, you know, drunk driving brother with the Texas swagger. And I'm from Connecticut. Originally, I'm a prep school kid. I went to Andover, but I'm a Texan. You know, I mean, at least W had some panache in the character mm-hmm. he created. Jeb was just like a stiff, just a, he was just dead on arrival. And Trump, Trump's like, boy, low energy, Jeb. We tattooed that right to his forehead. And, and he really did. Just stood there and took it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was some of my favorite parts of that. Um, so an, another cool thing about you, Olivia, that you do is wrestling. And um, 
you've said you've you know you've been out kind of publicly about the culture war of biological men being in wrestling and trans uh i guess you would call them trans women right wanting to wrestle against biological women mm-hmm. so what kind of response have you got with that have you gotten any pushback support i mean what, what does that look like for you since you've you know obviously um being known for the wrestling part of your background and um, you're a national champion, right? You won a, uh, right. So yeah, you're pretty well known in the wrestling community. What, what, what kind of uh, response have you had with that? So in the wrestling community, everybody agrees with me because it's people who understand the sport. It's not athlete woke soy boys that disagree with me saying, well, why can't it just be by weight class? Why can't it just be by experience? Because even at the same way, a male and a female will have a different level of muscular uh, musculature and it will have a different level of body fat percentage, even at the at, even at peak health. In wrestling, it's actually illegal if you go to weight certifications before the season. It's like illegal, I think, for a woman to go b- below a certain level of body fat. And men have a different standard, a lower standard for a certain level of body fat that they're allowed to cut weight to. So by all measures, by all standards in the sport, men will have a strength advantage over women. Obviously, it's not to say that women it's impossible for women to beat a man. I've known, you know, female state championships. I and I beat them. But every female who beats men beats more women. And there's no, there's no deviant from that. A female who wins a county championship in, in male wrestling will be like a national champion or all-American level in female wrestling. There is no deviant from that. So, yeah, I get called a transphobe. I get called a homophobe. That part makes no sense. But it is what it is. I don't care what people think. It's not out of bigotry. It's not out of hatred. Maybe I do kind of hate people who worm their way into women's sports because women fought so hard to get Title IX. Women's, women's wrestling is still so small that in Maryland, where I grew up, we don't even have women's wrestling teams here. And in other states where they do have, you know, uh, more female teams in, you know, various different sports, now it's men, men worm forming their way into those sports when not even all 50 states have female teams for every sport. Like to me, that's bullshit. So it's a no for me. Yeah, absolutely. And and those are the arguments that um, Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen in Tulsi made on that bill that she proposed on her way out of Congress, uh, basically saying that um, biological men uh, should not be participating in these women's sports and any uh, university that receives federal funding um, would lose their funding if they partake in that. Yeah, so. I mean that's a, that's another thing. Um, in regards to Tulsi, I like that there are some sen- sensible Democrats left. I don't want to poach all the sensible Democrats and bring them and try to get them to run as a Republican, where they would not win as a Republican. First of all, because Republicans would not vote for somebody who you know is, is so anti two way like that. Um, and I, I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't foresee it ending well for her or the Republican party. I would like to see more Tulsi's in the Democrat party. Uh, I would like to see, you know, more Joe Manchin's and more Christmas in the Democratic party. I don't really like, um, this rhetoric that we should be bringing in anyone who's slightly, you know, right of Bernie Sanders into the Republican party just because they piss off the Democrats. There should, there should be more of them for sure, but keep them over there, you know? Because they, they're still, you know, liberal in, in many aspects. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree. And that was an issue that I, you know, I, I didn't really give a lot of thought to and think too much about. So it's uh, been refreshing to hear what you say about it. And, and obviously you have a very um, unique perspective on it, you know, being someone who's in the wrestling world and uh, being part of, you know, a athletic community that is impacted by those policies. So, yeah, um, it, it's something I've, very, I've been very passionate about just by nature of having to grow up and wrestle boys and get in college and, you know, other tournaments and wrestling females and being like, wow, this is a this is a crazy difference. I'm so glad I have this opportunity now. And I want to afford, you know, every other girl and every other sport, whether, you know, there's whether the school, you know, doesn't allow like girls on the football team or girls on the basketball team. I wanted that to extend to every girl to have that right. In some regards, it's kind of a feminist issue, but not a third wave feminist issue. That's like a first wave feminist issue. We just want girls to have equality. Now it's like women doesn't mean anything. Um, birthing bodies, menstruators, uh, like all this kind of reducing women to their biological anatomy in an effort to not reduce 
trans women to their biological anatomy when their biological anatomy is different from ours. So, um, yeah, that that's that whole rhetoric in erasing women, um, in erasing um, cisgendered. I hate that word now because that that's just like people who are normal. I'm sorry to say that's just people who are born the way they're born and they accept the way they were born. Uh, so yeah, that that whole issue really just it kind of grinds my gears. Yeah, well, I just I love it. It, it takes up so much oxygen and attention. Um, when things like possible war with Russia uh, are going on right now. We should be really concerned about that. Um, what do you think will happen there with Russia? What are your thoughts on that whole deal? You know, I'm kind of like on the same side as some more isolationist libertarians or Republicans. Do I care on a moral standpoint about the Ukraine? Of course, I'm against human rights violations. I'm against colonization, imperialism. I'm against a giant country, you know, bullying a smaller country and a smaller group of people and persecuting them. I'm not willing to send other people's sons. Um, I'm not willing to send my brother. I'm not willing to send, you know, our American soldiers to die for them. I think that's a nuance that many people don't have. Are you saying you don't care about Ukraine? Are you saying... No, I'm I'm against Russia. I'm against what Russia is doing, but I'm not other people's kids to die for them. And a lot of politicians are, and that's the scary part. So, are we going to see that happen? I hope not. But you know, I'm not hopeful because we have a horrible track record of sending people's kids to die for a cause that they don't they don't care about, they don't believe in, or is just not necessary or needed. So. I guess we'll just hope for the best, hope for, uh, you know, not another 20 year uh, occupation of a foreign country, <laughs> you know, let's hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful. It's not going to, Brandon's not going to start all, all out ground war with Russia. Cause I think that's homicidal and suicidal and just stupid. I mean, you very know, and stupid, very, very, very stupid. That's not our business. I'm sorry to say maybe in like the future, um, we would be in a position to help out other countries because I'm not, I'm not like a Puritan isolationist. Like when people say, Oh, we should never gone involved in world war two. I'm like, well, I disagree with that. I think there are some wars that we can and should have been involved in, but not since world war two, to be frank, not since world war two. Well, right. So, and this is not one of those instances where I can see us being like, yep, this justifies it. This justifies, you know, storming the beaches of Russia or whatever. Like, <laughs> It's not good. I, it's not going to, I'm not going to agree with it. Well, that's one of the things I loved about Trump was going into it. He had a positive uh, posturing towards Russia and seeking detente and kind of resetting our whole relationship with them. But the, the, the fucking left and the hysterics that pushed Russiagate and that were just like, he's a Russian agent and then all this bullshit made it really, really hard for Trump to do that, to do any kind of meaningful reset with Russia or any kind of um, push towards detente. So I don't know. I just I, I look at I look at two of the world's greatest nuclear superpowers uh, staring at each other with the rest of the world in the balance, and I think we should be de-escalating it, not moving in the direction it's going in. So, yeah, uh, I wish I would. I, I kind of I do wish Trump was in office for times like these because you can de-escalate a situation he, like that. He would have brought a few beauty queens over to Moscow to hang out with Putin and they would have just talked the thing over. Look, I'll bring, I'll, excuse me, I'll bring Ivanka over, okay, and I'll bring over some great beauties. Me and Putin will sit in the hot tub, we'll eat a couple of cheeseburgers, and we'll talk things out, okay? Okay. Just have a Diet Coke. Yeah, he'll bring Putin a Diet Coke, exactly. I mean, that that's what Trump said about uh, Rocket Man. He's like, I mean, look, I could, I'll, go, I'll go over there, we'll have a hamburger together. We can talk things out. We don't need war, okay? It was just like so nonchalant for Trump to say that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I do believe in America's soft power. Like, I, I believe in influencing others and other nations if you want to do that, with not through the barrel of a gun, not through dropping bombs and occupying their country and murdering their people, but through good, great things about America that other countries want to emulate. Whether it's our culture, whether it's through uh, cultural exchange, sports exchange, um, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Oliver Stone series where he interviewed Putin. It's in like four or five parts. Absolutely fascinating. I recommend that for anyone listening who hasn't seen that and wants to kind of understand more about Russia and about the way Putin thinks. Uh, the Kremlin gave Oliver Stone unprecedented access to Vladimir Putin. And he hung out with him for, I think, like 20 or 30 hours and condensed it down into four parts. 
And uh, it's it's very interesting. And I like a lot of the work Oliver Stone has done to kind of de-escalate tensions and, and to kind of humanize Russia because we've had my aunts from Russia. My, my uncle married this beautiful Russian woman and she's awesome. I love her. She's part of my family. And I think a lot of people don't even know Russians or have never met a Russian person or or they just, they've been dehumanized so much by our media that they're just like this boogeyman far off the, in another country that's interfering in every part of American life, which I, I think is just complete bullshit and um, hysteria. So I'm going to try to stay hopeful, Olivia, about that. I'm going to try to. <laughs> well, hey, we're coming up on the hour, Mark, and I really appreciate you giving me your time uh, and coming on the show and chatting with me before we leave here. Um, if you just want to tell everyone where they can find you and what you have coming up for projects or things you're working on and, and such. Sure. So um, I'm on Instagram at Rondo.Olivia. My last name is spelled R-O-N-D-E-A-U. Um, uh, Twitter, Rondo Olivia. And then in my bio on both platforms, I have a link tree so you can read my articles, uh, watch my videos, all that through there. Um, I'm also a regular guest on Fox Business about every other week now. So I also post updates on my social media about the exact dates and times I go on. It's usually on Kennedy's show. And uh, yeah, that's, that's basically what I got going on now. That's that's awesome. Well, keep up the good work. You know, I, I like what you do and I appreciate your perspective and your voice. It's uh, it's it's great to have it out there and and getting noticed. And uh, I'm, I'm committed, Olivia. If it's Trump and Kamala in 24, we're going to bring the thing on the road and we're going to we're going to grift over a million dollars off that thing. I, I love the sound of that. Let's do that for sure. Yep. We're capitalists. We love money. I love money. OK. All right, everyone. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. And if you haven't, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, like this video, give it a thumbs up and, uh, please support Jackman radio on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Jackman radio. I'm really working on building that up right now. My goal is to get 600 patrons at five bucks a month for this year in 2022. I really want to be able to do this show full time, bring it on the road, you know, interview cool people all around, fly people to New Hampshire, that kind of stuff. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.